unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language. But the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, my mandate comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. And we're going to read from the first verse. Quite a number of verses I'm going to read for us down there. And it says... Let me read the KJV. And all the commandments which I command thee. Who is commanding? God through Moses. So Moses is speaking to the children of Israel as touching the commandments he has given them for their direction as a people. He says, And all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that one ye may leave two and multiply three and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers and those are the three uh, basic components of a successful Christian life so many people have definitions of success and they define some success as, you know, excelling in one area of life, which I believe. Some define success at levels, which I mostly believe. But the basic or core component of success, Christian success, is one that you will live. Some of us don't know the power of that. There's a, such a power in living. I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes but to steal, kill, destroy. But I am come that you may have life. Jesus did not come to make us make a living. He came to teach us how to live the life of God. Are you following me? That you will live. In other words, that the life of God will express itself in all dimensions through your life. It's fundamental. Number two, that you will multiply. Of the essence of what God has given you as you teach and instruct or be a living example for those who are watching you to receive and learn how God works through a person, but also the works of your hands and the glory that follows godly labor to affect and influence many people in your lifetime. I always tell people that for me, the happiest moment of my life when I start preaching on the altar is when I see people come into the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because it's given to all men to die. One day, you'll leave this body. I think, better say in the Christian faith, to sleep. For us, we don't die. Those which don't know God die. For us, we sleep. It's given that one day, you will go to heaven. Even that little baby you're holding in your hands, one day she'll be a very old grandmother if Christ is not yet back. And that cycle repeats itself. So it's not a new thing. There's a family that has buried their beloved today and tomorrow the same. But that day when we all face God, when we make it to heaven, I want to find many people who will say, I came to Christ because of you. I was lost even though I was a Christian, but when I started to hear your gospel, the message that God spoke through you, I turned and I became a better person. I found my destiny because I collided with you. 
you know. So when I see them come to Jesus, for me, there's nothing as beautiful. That's why I always emphasize to you, reach out to people. When you come to service, don't come alone. That's your way of evangelism. Because you might not have the words God has given me. But surely, you have the anointing on your life to convince a soul to turn to God. They might reject. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. But do it. Hallelujah. Because that's the place of multiplication. Paul looks at the people he ministered to and he says, ye are my reward in the gospel. For me, I don't look at cars, houses, or anything that I have in life. No accessory defines that place of satisfaction or fulfillment. But the lives that I've been given the opportunity to pastor. Paul says, ye are partakers. This is his word. Ye are partakers of my grace. That means the things that have operated in us have operated in you. Some of you have gotten married before our eyes, raised children before our eyes, built very successful conglomerates. Businesses are exploding out of your hands because you've sat under the right teaching. Hallelujah. That's multiplication. But number three also, like he promised, that you might go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. Assignment. That you should fulfill the God-given assignment on your life. Because I tell people that's the most dangerous thing to be as a Christian. To be on earth, but you're not serving your assignment. You're not serving your assignment. There's such a grace and glory that comes when you know that you're serving your assignment. What God created you to do. Never forget those three things. In verses 2, he continues to say, You shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in your heart. God led the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years to humble them, to prove them and to know what was in their heart. Whether, he said, you'd keep his commandments or no. And how did he humble them? How did he prove them? How did he test their hearts? Listen to the next verse. He humbled thee, listen, and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. This is how he humbles them. He allowed them to be hungry, to be human, and fed them with manna, which they knew not, neither did their fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And he says, your raiment waxed not old upon thee. Your clothes did not grow old, he said. Neither did your foot swell. Your shoes were preserved as well these 40 years. That you shall also consider in your heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord has chastened you. In other words, this is how God disciplined. He wanted to build some sort of discipline on the children of Israel. Because you cannot guarantee a successful life without some sort of discipline. And amazingly, as the Bible tells us, treasures are in earthen vessels. We are imperfect beings. All of us. None of us is perfect here. You see? So all of us strive for a journey to fulfill what God has designed us to be, but in earthen vessels. So we are bound to make mistakes. We're bound to wrong each other. We're bound to follow paths we're not supposed to follow. But in spite of all of that, he still says, I have a standard and my standard is some sort of discipline. You need discipline. I'll chastise you. But to chastise you, I have to prove you. I have to try your heart. I have to humble you. I will create certain things that will come your way. I'll open certain opportunities for you. Certain doors, certain gates, certain portals of access will come to you. I'll give windows revelation to you for you to have something by which I will prove your heart and test you. 
And with the children of Israel, this is how he tested them. You can't appreciate this test until you understand the story. Let us go a little bit back so you understand how this test comes. Because when you say he fed them with manna, and that was a test to prove their heart, he made sure that their clothes don't grow old, and that was a test for their hearts. He made sure that their shoes were not growing old, nor their feet swelling, and that was a test on their hearts. So you need to know, how, how does that even make sense? Let me take us back. Remember, the children of Israel, by Joseph, are led into Egypt. And there, generation upon generation, God starts to fulfill his promises that he has made on them as a blessed of the Lord. Some of you say the blessed of the Lord. And one day, the Bible says, the children of Israel became richer than the Egyptians. Exodus 1.7 tells us the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and were exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. In other words, they are in a foreign land as immigrants, but they are more in number than the Egyptians. They are richer than the Egyptians. They are stronger than the Egyptians, so they can actually take over Egypt. But the Bible didn't say they were wiser. It was understood. Because it makes no sense for a people richer stronger to be taken into captivity by a people weaker and less in number. Except there's a deficit of wisdom. Are you following what I'm saying? No matter how big your company is, it doesn't matter how strong you are in the body. If you don't carry this, you can be taken over by a weaker one. This is what happened. So Pharaoh sits down with his people and says, how do we reduce these people? How do we put them back to the number that we can control least they fight against us and join our enemies and take over our land? So him and his wise men starts planning. The Bible gives us a good story. It says they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. But many people don't know the, the deeper story of how they're taken into slavery. Because ask yourself, if they are stronger, if they are more in number, how do you arrest them and take them into slavery? Is that possible? If they can fight? No, you must choose wisdom. Now, I have read one book called the book of Joshua and I know there are some extra biblical texts um, book of Enoch and many others some of them uh, really carry very interesting stories to read um, not all of them can be trusted for doctrine but some of them do carry very very wonderful stories and some truths that even the Bible vindicates you know some people say I don't read any of those. Uh -uh. If you're a wise one, you can read them and compare them against scripture and for yourself judge what you can apply by scripture and what you can't because you're of the spirit. You're not of the letter. In fact, at one particular point, a story is given in the Bible, but the reference is from the book of Jashem. Joshua 10, 13, the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So if Joshua can quote Jasher, why do you have a problem with me quoting Jasher? Now, listen. In the story of the book of Jasher, they give a full account. And this is what it says. Pharaoh sits with his people and they start to plan. And this was a plan. Let us get these people to some sort of deception. Let us deceive them. If I will take us back, again in that book of Joshua, there's a story given when the father 
uh, of Joseph has died, which was Jacob. Later on, there's a reconciliation, of course, but he told them, when I die, return my bones back to our land. I don't want my bones to stay in Egypt. So when he died, Joseph and his brothers go, I think, to Hebron. He had bought a cave there. And he had told them that I had bought a cave in Hebron. He even had the paperwork. And told them, if I die, when I die, bury me in that cave. But because it's been many years since he was away, Esau, his brother, took over. That what? That cave. Now, when the time comes to bury this man, they bring the body of their father and also and his sons in Hebron say, no, this is my cave. So Joseph and his brothers agree that they have to fight for what belonged to their father. And from then on, even though before Esau and Jacob had been reconciled, from then on, the sons of Esau became enemies to the sons of Jacob. In fact, if you read the story, in one of those wars, it's what led to the death of Esau. That's how Esau died. So from then on, they stayed enemies. Now, they started to fight each other many a time. And on one of those wars between the sons of Jacob and the sons of Esau, one time they fought in a city called Ramses. It's one of the cities they fought in. And they also fought somewhere in Pitho. They used to wage war in those corridors. Now, this is where the story adds up because Pharaoh and his boys, wise men, agree on a decoy and they say, let us deceive the children of Israel that we have heard by intelligence that the sons of Esau, the ones they fought and have been fighting all along, they're going to come back and attack us as Egypt. So we need to build cities to fortify us. And so, remember the wars have always been around Ramses, Pitom. So let's build cities there. Now, because the children of Israel know that the sons of Esau are their enemies, all of them would be willing to build a city against their common enemy because Pharaoh is showing them, these guys, by the way, are not coming for Egypt because they have a problem with Egypt. They are coming for Egypt because they have a problem with you. But in these cities, we will pay all of you to build. We will not build for free. So imagine you're being paid to build, but two, you're building against your enemy. And Egypt is giving you all these advantages. What do you do? All of them went, except the tribe of the Levites. The Levites refused to what? To build. None of the children of the Levites came. So those never suffered slavery. In fact, if you study, while the whole of the children of Israel were under slavery, the Levites were not put in slavery because they never went in the first place. It's important for you to know this story. So, you don't hear Aaron building and... <laughs> anyway, back to the story here. So, they come to build. But the agreement was once they start building, and that's why when it comes to division in the church, eh, those of you who are mature must understand that this has been one of the oldest strategies of the devil. He makes sure that he sets us against each other. And every time he does that, you know that you're on a journey of bondage. These pastors who find themselves fighting another pastor on YouTube, you open your Facebooks and start fighting each other. You're building Ramesses and Pitho. Anyway, so they're building. But the agreement was the moment they start building, let us start taking out. And oh, I'd forgotten something they agreed to hire them alongside Egyptian workers. So it's hidden. But when they start building, let's start pulling out our Egyptians. And when all the Egyptians are out like they did that, let's start cutting the wages until they start complaining, until we are paying nothing. Now those who refuse to work, we pick one at a go. Whoever has not come to work, we punish you. That's how they led all of them into bondage and slavery. That's how it happened. But it also works for them 
Because once you make them work hard, again, the, the hidden motive here is men won't have time for their children. So they won't produce many children because they are deprived of their wives. A man who should be with his wife, he comes back very tired. So now you understand why some of the most hardworking cultures in the world have few children. Why your generations have fewer children than the generations before? Because your generations are more enslaved. <laughs> than the generations, you call it family planning, everything, but you ask him, why don't you have a third child? Ha, children are so hard to manage these days. But you're waking up every morning to work. But you don't have enough to raise a human being. Yet even a chicken can raise its own. Somebody shout fire. Are you following what I'm saying? When I was working in my former workplaces, I saw women who had miscarriages because they were overwhelmed at work. God is not against labor. And I always tell our generation to always prize the dignity of godly labor. It comes with dignity. When you find a man who doesn't want to work and they can sit in their father's home the whole day, that man has no dignity. He has no pride for himself. Always honor the dignity of hard labor if it's of God, if it comes with a blessing. That one maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. That one will bring more than you have worked for. That one is so rewarding and fulfilling. You go back home smiling. Not tired and zonked and sullen and broken. I know a gentleman who worked many years in the bank, about 20 years in the bank. And then at the end of his life in the bank, 2050, I think, he developed an ulcer retired and sold everything he made in the bank for treatment. And after everything was sold, he had to go for an operation. After even his marital house, home was sold, he died. But they used to see him in a suit and a tie. Everybody wanted to admire him. The Bible says the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life. God has not designed you to die in your labors, to build houses you'll not live in, to plant vineyards you'll not eat of. That's not the will of God. That's not the will of God. And I pray by God, this be far from you. This be far from you. Hallelujah. Are you learning something? So they come from that world where they were slaves, enslaved. Abby says the more they afflicted, the more they multiplied. That's why now later they have to kill children. That's when they come up with the idea, let's kill the boys. Leave the girls around, they'll marry our Egyptians and by that we shall multiply. So you see how the story goes. Now, imagine people are coming from hundreds of years of slavery. Their children are born into slavery and are enslaved until they die to another generation of slavery. Their mindset is enslaved. And for the first time, they enter the wilderness, which was supposed to be a 12-day journey. If you look from the sea where they cross to the place of inheritance, you'd find that it was supposed to be a 12-day journey. But what was supposed to be a 12 to 14-day journey, the Bible tells us became 40 years. It was not the will of God for them to stay 40 years. Why? Because 38 of those 40 years, they were at a mountain called Seir or Seir. Are you following me? And the mountain of Seir was the inheritance of the Edomites. The Edomites are the sons of Esau. 
So it's not possible that God would have wanted the children of Israel to spend 38 years around their enemies. That is why even in the wilderness, they were fighting wars. Because they were not supposed to be there. They were just supposed to go through. The Bible says he led them not in the way of the Philistines, even though it was shorter for his soul. The Bible says that they would repent when they see war and return back to Egypt. They had a spirit of fear. They were not built enough to be bold. Otherwise, if they were bold and had been built with boldness, they would have gone through the wilderness in only 12 or 14 days. But an enslaved mentality carries no place of boldness and faith. It's always living in a place of survival and fear. That's how you know you're enslaved. Now, imagine somebody with such an enslaved mentality. Even his definition of freedom is warped. It's flawed. Because Satan has a way of giving us different visions and understandings when we are in slavery. Later on, they reach the wilderness. These slaves which have been working night and day, he says, let me give you food for free. Are you seeing now? Let me make sure your clothes do not grow old. Let me make sure your feet are not swollen and your shoes are new every morning. Let me read you from every kind of labor. Every kind of labor. And test you and say, if you have been made comfortable, if I have created contingencies for your convenience, will your heart still follow my commands? Are you seeing the test? Will your heart still follow my commands? He's asking them. This is what he did to try them. And it's important for God to get that out of them. It's important for God to get that answer from them to be sure that by the time they enter the promised land their hearts are circumcised they are consecrated enough not to be attached to anything except God because if they enter that land with an enslaved mentality they'll forget God in fact if you go in the scriptures below go to verses 6 again Deuteronomy 8 Remember verse 5 says, Consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. I'm disciplining you. The word chastening is to discipline you to receive. God always disciplines you to make a better version of you. So you'll have his best. Verse 6, he says, Therefore you'll keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and of depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein you'll eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you may dig brass. When you've eaten, listen, and you are full, then you shall bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Beware, he says, therefore, that you forget not the Lord in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command you, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwell therein, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and then you have also multiplied, verses 14, that your heart be lifted, and forget the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Selah. Think about it. That you can have so much and forget where you came from. And forget the God who lifted you, who upheld you, who fought for you. So he says, I will try your heart by giving certain conveniences, certain provisions for you to see how will you deal with this? How will you deal with what I've given you? 
Will you still know me? Will you still know me? There are people here serving in the church only because they've not gotten a UN job. There are people who are faithful here in the choir because they've not yet landed the project. There's a young man somewhere serving Jesus faithfully because his Canadian visa has not come. There are people here who are praying aggressively. When it comes to prayer, they are praying hard because they come from a poor family. There are also people who used to serve God when they had so little. But when the blessing came, when the job came, when the fatness came, when the promotion came, when the contract came, when the breakthrough came, when the visa to America came, they forsook the God which made them and lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. There are people here who are so beautiful for God. They come from very affluent families. How can I be seen going to church? Because they come from a very affluent family. But you had nothing. If we go just one generation away, you probably didn't have clothes on your body or could not even afford a meal. See how far the Lord brought you to where you are. Because there are many people who you started life with and they didn't make it. You just need to drive back to your village and drive through the neighborhood and find that old boy you went to school with teeth choked out by drugs. That lady used to go to school with, now pregnant with four children, living in a one little roomed house and cannot afford a meal. Then you ask yourself the question, where was the guarantee that you could not have been that person? Tell me. Before you had a car, you would pray even when it rained. Now you have a car. You don't want the mud to touch your car. You will stream. You will stay home and watch. It has rained. You have a very comfortable bed. Yet when you're growing up, you have to share this bed with your neighbors and cousins' children. Then they urinate on you. <laughs> Now you've waxed. You've seen the goodness of God. I am a politician. How can I touch here? I'm a successful business person. How can I touch here? I went to this school. How do I sit with? You know, I met one person and sadly they said, I want to come to Fanero, but you are too squeezed. The gate to heaven is narrow. <laughs> I hope you won't squeeze us. I hope you won't squeeze us. <laughs> Don't come and say, mm -mm, mm -mm. go to the bigger gate. Because <laughs> you don't want to be squeezed. What is my point? Maybe that job was testing your heart. Maybe that promotion was testing your heart. Oh, some of you are just a marriage away. 
Before you were married, oh. Now you're married, you are busy. Doing what? <laughs> you know, some of you, you are just, oh, now you have children. But I want you to know there are people who have it all. And they are still attuned to the purposes of God's assignment. I don't know who I'm speaking to. Never be so busy for God. Never be so wise for God. Never be so beautiful for God. I found some people, oh, you, you know, there are the people who believe that they come from a more superior tribe than some people. And somebody tells you, ah, but they can't come to your church. And when you search them, really, it's because they come from a certain tribe. If they were from an inferior tribe, they would be a little bit humble. But they can strip, they can watch online. That's where. <laughs> Raptures are not going to go through internet. I'm telling you. I'm not saying everybody who is streaming is a bad person. No, there are people who are streaming because they are not able to come. Unavoidable circumstances. And this only God can judge. I don't judge anybody. But there are people who say, ah, ah, instead of driving, some even don't go to church. They have no relationship with God. But look at almost all these successful people and go back to their childhood. You'll find a point where they connected to God. And you'd see that their success. Some of you, by the way, God didn't bless you for you. He was trying to deliver your father's house. It was not just a job. He wanted to change the story to carry the reproach of your father's household. So, this blessing on you is not just on your life for you to simply live a comfortable life, but it is trying to your heart to ask, are you faithful enough to execute my assignment on your life? If you are busy at your workplace, and which is understandable and appreciatable, I tell people, examine your heart against what you're willing to do for the extra buck, for the extra dollar, against what heaven requires of you. There is nothing God needs from us. He just needs you to worship and serve Him. Because everything you see in this physical realm, one day will fold to nothing. And it will not matter what car you were in, what house you lived in, whose family you came from, how many guns you had, it will matter that you knew your Lord and Savior. It will matter. It will matter. This is something that does not only happen to you people, it also happens to us as ministers. So even as I'm speaking, I'm putting the light on myself also and all my ministers here that we can get comfortable with what God has done in us. We can get comfortable. And you find you're not praying the way you used to pray. Before you found God, because the conveniences that come with a gifting and anointing on your life deceive you to think that that's enough. And by the way, let me say this because this is a delusion, a common delusion I find in the church. Everybody needs an anointing on their lives. Anointings are not for only pastors, preachers, prophets. No, anointings are for every believer because the Bible has told you that the yoke shall be broken because of the anointing. There are things that only the anointing of God on your life can break. You might be an engineer and there are contracts you can never enter unless you have an anointing on your head. Unless you have something that endorses you from the spirit world. Every one of us needs an anointing, whether you're a politician, a politician who's working only by their wisdom and a politician who's working by the anointing, you can tell they are different people. They are different people. We all need the anointing. When the psalmist prays to God for the refreshment of his spirit, what does that mean? 
What does it mean for God to refresh your spirit? It's important for us to know. Because some of you, you are stuck with the monuments you built by the level you earned a few years back. But because it was sufficient enough to provide for the attention that you needed, you became comfortable. It became your manner. It became your manner. It became those clothes that don't wear out. And so people every day are celebrating the miracle of a man under a presence because his raiment is not waxing old. But it's not God's best. He's testing his heart. And it's amazing to live under such presence where your clothes don't grow old and you're eating food you've not dug with your hands. And God still says, this is not my best for you. There is more. I can do more than this. This I did only to try you, to test your heart. But I can do way more. If you think you have a million dollars, a billion dollars, I can do way more. That is just manna. I'm taking you to a land where you lack nothing. But I need to test you with this to see how you think. I need to test you. Eat in the same meal every day to see whether you'll appreciate that you didn't dig it. But they're complaining. We remember. Listen, the fish we ate freely. Can you believe they use the word freely? Numbers 11.5. You read, 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 your Bible, read your Bible. When they were eating manna, they got tired of it and says, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. Listen, freely. What freedom? <laughs> what freedom? He's on a slave force to build every day but they can give a little fish. We call them bones to the dog. You know, some of you, you, you live a very cheap life. You're always receiving bones to the dog. A little bone to the dog, they call it. Those of you who must accept little small monies to do what you're supposed to do in your offices, those are little bones to the dog. You receive little small, small things. Somebody's asking you to do something you know you must do in that office. You must stamp that document because it was ordained by God for you to sit in that office and execute righteousness. Then you want a bone, a little bone. So you're taking bones when you could have eaten meat. That job is testing who you are. When I was in the bank, a certain man came to offer me an amount of money to defraud the bank. If I had taken that money, I would have eaten a bone. Now I look back in retrospect and see how much meat I eat. <laughs> the devil will always bribe you less than what God can give you. Never forget that. So stay away from bones. Wait for the meat. You have a good hunter. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. He's saying I'm allowing this manna to come. So you know that even if you did not till the ground or dig your field, I can still feed you. So you understand why Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness? like the children of Israel were in the wilderness, first temptation of the wilderness experience. He says, turn these stones into bread because you're hungry. Jesus tells him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He's trying to tell Satan, even if I didn't have bread, physical bread, the word of God is enough to sustain me without food. In other words, listen, I don't need anything of the earth, any provisions of man to be sustained by God. If I have his word, I can be sustained. Not many people can say that. Not many. Some of you, you're just one dismission letter away from changing your lifestyle. You're living in a rented apartment because you have a job that was appointed to you 
But if you lose that job and they write a letter that dismisses you tomorrow morning, you will downgrade. Your children will not go to that school anymore. You will not finish the house you're trying to build for your family. You're just one letter away from changing your life. You can't say that you're not living on bread. You're living on bread. You're living on the provisions and graces and masses of men. Some of you are just one contract away from losing fees for the next term of your son or daughter. Let me tell you, true liberty begins when no man can lay claim on your destiny or provision. Look at the birds in the air. He says they neither sow nor. Look at the flowers in the field. Okay, let me give an example. Is there a place on earth my children will go, biological? And somebody will not do them good because of my anointing? It's no place. Everywhere I'm at in the world, and somebody meets my daughter and say, this is a son or a daughter of Apostle Grace Living. They will want to do them good. At least they will give them a glass of water. So, my children are not living by how much I have on my account. They are living by the anointing. See, Israel was preserved in Egypt because of the anointing on Joseph. That's why the Bible says they are taken in slavery at a time when a king arose, which knew not Joseph, nor his works. That's the only reason they went into slavery. If that king knew who Joseph was, he would say, leave the Israelites. No man can fire me from anything. No man here can downgrade me from what's upon my life because it has not been earned by any man here. You understand? You're reading a Bible of men who go in the wilderness, famine, and ravens feed them when the whole world is starving because they know that God is their source and their trust. I pray by God that may he elevate your life to a place where you will not depend on a man's signature, on a man's proposal for you to excel or downgrade in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 That you'll entirely leave and people will say, this one, whether the job is there or not, her God is alive. This one, whether there is a husband in her life or not, her children go to school. This one, whether she has a connection with the people, big people or not, she is progressing. Nobody will be able to explain your existence or success because you live by the word. Hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. amen. I worked with people. They fire them tomorrow. And the house they had gotten mortgage with now is in the newspapers tomorrow. Their children have nowhere to sleep. Because that job was their God. And it's because they didn't know that the job was testing their heart. It wasn't their inheritance. God wants to take you to a place where you lack nothing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 3. He says, The ox knows its owner, and the ass knows its master's creep. But Israel does not know. Amplified says, Their Lord neither consider or understand. They don't know what God can do and who he is. Because if you can fail to live God's best to serve him as you ought because of a second-hand car you bought, you got a small deal and you bought a car from Japan, first driven by a certain fellow, then it was handed to you. This thing is deep. He says the ox knows its owner. They know their God. And the ass knows its master's creep. They know where they have been planted by God. Do you know there are Christians who don't even know the church they belong to? Anybody you see church hoping, I don't care how prophetic they are, they don't know God. You read your Bible. 
he has spoken of the nails fastened as the instruction that proceeded from one shepherd. That's your Bible, not me. Ecclesiastes 12 verses 1, read 11. He says, the words of the wise are as God's and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. That means wisdom. If you want to see a man carrying wisdom on their spirit, they have a shepherd, one distinct shepherd. They can hear God through a man. I'm not saying that there's a problem in, you know, separate sources and resources. You understand? But some of you, every man of God is your source. There is something wanting. If the ass knows its master's creed, it knows that this is where I'm supposed to sit. How can you, a human being, not even know the church you should go to? How can you not know that I should actually sit in a fellowship and study and learn to grow, raise children, show them the way of the Lord too? You see, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There are things God will give you not necessarily as an inheritance, though you might call them an inheritance, but really to test your heart. To test your heart. To test your heart. And some people fail at that level. Yet you could have been way more Way more. Way more. But you settled for less. Psalms 25, 14. It says that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. For he shall show them his commandments, his covenant. He gives you a revelation of his covenant that he has with you. He shows you how much he could do with you. Those are people who keep a secret. Every successful man of God I know, or Christian in the world, has a secret with God. And it begins by the revelation of God's covenant. But it begins from fearing Him, who revere Him, who serve Him, who are available for Him. To say that I have a billion dollars on my account, but when it comes to the house of God, I can clean this floor. That's a man who has a revelation of who God is. That's a man who has a revelation of who God is. Never be too smart for God. Never be too beautiful for God. Never be too elevated for God. Let affluence never conflict your purpose and assignment. Never be too wise for God. Never be too handsome for God. Never be too rich for God. Never be too anointed for God. Do the best and shine in the world. Come in the house of God and be willing to clean even the toilet. For the Bible says, if any of you requires to be the greatest among you, the greatest among you, the Bible says, he shall be your servant. That's the gospel. If anybody, next verse, requires to be chief among you, the Bible says he shall be your what? slave. Greatness is defined by how much you're able to be a slave for Christ, a servant for Christ. It's not defined by what you have. It's defined by how you debase yourself in how much God has given you. That's why I still go on the streets and preach with you. Yet I'm Apostle Grace. There are men who don't even match the rank where I'm at, but if they don't put a carpet, they can't come in. Never be like that. Be a servant of all. Be so blessed yet so humble. You'll be the greatest. I'm going to give you a few minutes to speak to Jesus. Speak to Jesus. Just talk to God. This message is not here to condemn you. It's here to elevate you, to make you a better version of yourself. To make you a better version of yourself. And as I'm praying for you, I'm also praying for myself. Speak to Jesus in your own words, humbly. In your own words. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. 
Tirava-me Vingar of our lives where we've been inflated and exalted beyond measure to walk away from God's plan and he is rich in mercy to forgive us and I pray that may not only we be restored but that we will live the full plan that will humble and be broken that our hearts be consecrated tonight to live fully for God. In Jesus' name I pray and believe. Amen. If you're sick in your body, God is healing you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody with a heart issue, I command healing on your body right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody with a bladder issue, I speak healing in the mighty name of Jesus. blood diseases I rebuke you in the mighty name of Jesus hallelujah hallelujah give the Lord a mighty of praise now let me do one more thing if you're here and you have never given your life to Jesus and you say today pastor as you are speaking I want to give my life to Jesus I want to give my life to Jesus I believe God has already convicted you. I don't need to add on any words. I always tell people when God convicts, we don't need to add. We only need to make invitations because they cannot come unless he draws them. So if you're there and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, simply repeat these words after me from your heart. Say, Father God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ because he died for my sins and he was raised for my glory today. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, change me, transform me, use me, 
lead me to the end. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.